Now let's turn to the Lord, ask him to bless the reading and hearing of his holy and errant inspired word. Let's pray together. Send your spirit among us, O God. Prepare our minds to hear your word, that we might understand rightly what we hear. Move our hearts to receive what we hear in faith. Purify our will to obey in joy. For we pray these things through Christ our Savior. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John chapter 14 verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. It is written. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. At the most basic level, being a disciple of Jesus Christ means believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we must immediately ask, what does it mean to believe? And believe is a word like love. It gets thrown around a lot. It's hard to get a handle on because it can take a number of connotations depending on on the situation, like for instance, if you were to ask me if I received an email you sent to me the previous week, I might respond, I believe so. And what does this imply? It implies uncertainty, right? I don't know. I received 5,000 emails last week. I'm not sure if I saw your email or not. Hopefully, This is not what we mean when we say that we believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. Or another way that we use the word believe is sort of like 
we used a few football games into the college season. I believe the Tigers might have what it takes this year. And what we really meant when we say we believe in that context is, I think so. I think so. I could make a solid argument for it, but I could also be convinced otherwise. Hopefully, this isn't what we mean when we say that we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior either. And on a deeper level, we might use the word believe to speak of something we are convinced is true. I believe America is the greatest nation ever. And I really do truly believe that, so much so that I might be willing to bet my life on it. Sort of like the Cuban doctor Charles Finley was so convinced that yellow fever was transmitted by mosquitoes that he was willing to bet his life on it. He was willing to test this idea by being in the presence of infected patients who were in a room that had been screened off from all mosquitoes. And using believe in this manner, I could say, I believe God exists. And for many, when they say that they believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, this is what they are articulating. They are articulating a conviction, a conviction even that they are willing to put to the test. But is this what Jesus means when he says in John 14, believe in God, believe also in me? Is he encouraging the disciples to a personal conviction that they should hold about him? And Jesus, in his school on discipleship here in the upper room, has a very important lesson for his disciples about what it means to believe in him. And it comes at a critical moment for them as they prepare for his departure. This is why we find here in chapter 14, in just 14 verses, the word believe six times. So I want to identify three things here that Jesus says about what belief in him looks like. What it means for us to believe in him as his disciples. So first, Jesus teaches his disciples that belief in him means trusting that their lives are safe in his hands. That belief in him means trusting that their lives are safe with him. And chapter 14 starts with these familiar words, let not your hearts be troubled. We know these words because they get used so often at funerals. And Sinclair Ferguson argues that they are Maybe, perhaps, the most well-known of all of the words in John's gospel for this reason. Whenever unbelievers are present in the church, these are the words they usually hear. But we don't often get the full context of how they're used here in chapter 14. And for this, we have to go back to chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
Jesus is himself troubled in his spirit as he considers his betrayal at the hands of Judas and his impending death. He is also well aware of how his disciples will react, including Peter's denial. He tells Peter of this. And these things are weighing heavily on Jesus. And his disciples are disturbed by all of this as well. They're disturbed that Jesus is saying that these things are about to happen to him. It doesn't make any sense to them that he would have to die. They're concerned that their teacher, their rabbi, their master is about to leave them. They are concerned about how they will respond to all of this as well. And so they are troubled in their spirits. But notice what's happening here. It seems at face value that Jesus is being hypocritical. He's asking them to do something he himself isn't doing. But what Jesus is really doing by telling them that they don't have to be troubled is he's letting them know You don't have to be troubled by the circumstances you will soon find yourselves in. You don't have to be troubled by any circumstance that you will ever find yourself in. And you don't have to be troubled by any of this precisely because of what I am about to do for you. He wants them to understand that he is being troubled on their behalf and that his leaving is for their good take heart he is telling them i will not be separated from you for forever but i am leaving that i might prepare a place for you his death his resurrection his ascension will be the means by which they can be brought into god's eternal presence it is the means by which they will dwell eternally with their good shepherd Jesus, by way of his death, resurrection, and ascension, is overcoming the world for them. But all that they have witnessed will now have to give way to true faith. Trust. Trust. They will have to trust the one who spoke and calmed the storm. They have to trust that he is sovereign over death. They will have to trust that because of his sacrifice, they are safe, eternally safe, that in Jesus they can find their rest, that in him they can find their hope, that in him they can find a future of eternal joy in his presence, that he has the power over what matters most to them. So Jesus is telling them here don't allow your circumstances no matter how bad to determine the peace you have in your hearts find your comfort in the reality that i am in control of all things and my plan is for you to spend eternity in my presence this is the inheritance won for you by my coming suffering and death but how about you Can you trust God with what matters most? Can you truly rest your weight on him when you are in the darkest of nights? 
when you can't see a way forward, when all earthly hope is lost? Can you trust at the point that your greatest fears become reality? Can you rest your weight on him as you face your own mortality, as you draw near the grave? Can you rest your weight on him that you are safe in him? A couple of weeks ago, we went as a family to Shreveport to go to a rock climbing gym as a fun Saturday activity. Uh, Elizabeth and I have enjoyed rock climbing in the past. We haven't done it in a while. The truth be told, I am terrified of heights, which is sort of why I enjoy rock climbing. There is a slight hint of fear when I get up on the wall. And when I say slight hint, what I mean is just a little below absolutely paralyzing fear. (laughs) I'm not a big risk taker, especially when it comes to my body being physically in danger. So rock climbing helps me to push myself. It gives me enough of a rush to be really enjoyable. Anyhow, we went to this rock climbing gym in Shreveport, and you clip your climbing harness into a rope that's attached to a mechanism at the top of the climbing wall. And the mechanism serves to slowly let you down the wall once you have reached the pinnacle, or if you happen to fall off the wall, it returns you to the ground safely. And here's what I found. If you have a person doing this task, it's called belaying, you can see that they have you secure and they usually keep the rope pretty tight. So if you fall off the wall, you're not really falling. You're just hanging there until they slowly let you down. Well, this mechanism didn't work that way. So I get maybe nine or ten feet up off the ground, and I wonder to myself, do I really want to discover if this mechanism is going to hold my weight once I get to the very top of the wall? And I decided very quickly against giving it a test from the top of the wall. But I was just high enough at that point that the thought of leaning backwards with all of my weight was pretty terrifying. So I got my feet secured on some holds, some sturdy holds, and with one hand, I grabbed a hold of a, of a, a good hold, and with my other hand, I yanked the rope, hoping it would catch like a seatbelt. But it didn't tighten up at all. And now I was really worried. And Elizabeth who was standing at the bottom of the wall, had already figured out how this mechanism worked, assured me that I just had to lean back with all of my weight and trust that it was going to catch me. And so after a moment, I got the courage to do that, and I just let go, and I fell backwards. And it did catch me, although there was a brief moment when I wasn't so sure. Trusting in Jesus by faith can be a little bit like this. Sometimes in the darkest of nights, we might wonder if Jesus is really there. We wonder if we fall, if there is anything or anyone there to catch us. And we're yanking at the rope, and it's not tightening up at all. 
And so we might just be anxiously clinging as tightly as we can to whatever tiny holes we can find, trying to figure out how in the world we're going to back our way down this wall that we found ourselves on. Can you trust at that point? Can you lean back into Jesus with all of your weight? Do you trust that God's power displayed in Jesus Christ is greater than your circumstances? Do you trust that in him you are truly safe? This is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples to trust me. Trust me. Your faith will be tested. This rope will give a little, but I won't let you fall. My love for you will not fail. I will bring you safely home to myself. Lean back into me. Trust in the sufficiency of my power. I love the example that Sinclair Ferguson gives on this point. He says that when we look at an airplane, we might wonder how in the world this metal beast can fly. It isn't lighter than the air, right? So how does it get off the ground? And the reality is that it has the power, the energy to overcome the earth's gravity. Jesus died to defeat sin and death for us. He rose that we might have new life in him. So do you trust that Jesus has the power to overcome the world? Do you trust him to bring you safely through life's troubles into his eternal kingdom? Let not your hearts be troubled. Put your trust in Jesus. But the disciples are still troubled because after telling them that he's going to prepare a place for them and that he will come again to take them to himself, Jesus says this to them. Where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Really? So Thomas speaks up at this point, but Lord, we don't know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus responds. And this is our second lesson about what believing in Jesus means for us, his disciples. So secondly, belief in Jesus is not only trusting that we are safe in him, but it is knowing him as our transport. Belief in him means knowing him to be our transport. What the disciples long for is to be in the presence of God, who is the object of their faith. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get to God? And this is the question that all humanity is wrestling with, whether we realize it or not. In our cultural context, the world responds, there are many ways to get to God. Take your pick. You can find your own way to God by being true to yourself, being a loving and good person. Work on bettering yourself. This is how you commune with God in you and in others. Or you can go the more traditional route, right? Choose any of the major world religions. All of them are paths leading to God. They're all expressions of truth. 
And the example that's often given is of blind men feeling an elephant, different parts of the elephant. One is feeling the leg, and another is feeling the tail, and another is feeling the underside of the belly. And they're all describing these different parts from their different perspectives, but all are describing the same animal. It is the popular belief that so it is with the world's religions. And it sounds so nice, doesn't it? No one is really wrong. We're all just looking at things from diverse perspectives. Plus, it is so arrogant. It's so arrogant to make exclusive claims about God. Who are you to make an exclusive claim about God? You can't know the whole truth about God. You aren't infinite. But that actually is the issue, isn't it? We aren't blind men feeling an elephant. We aren't going to grope our way to God. The reality is we are blind men standing before a transcendent God who is wholly other, who dwells in unapproachable light, who is completely unknown to us unless he opens our eyes. And reveals himself to us. And he has. He has revealed what is required of us to come into his presence. So God's people understood that it was by way of the law that they made themselves righteous and presentable to God. But Jesus had shown the the law to be powerless in this regard. In and of itself, the law couldn't provide life to them. Psalm 15 asks, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And the response is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does not does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. None are righteous, not one. So how do we who are unrighteous come into the presence of a holy God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is the way. He has lived righteously before the Lord. He has fulfilled the law for us. He has lived for us and he has died in our place that we might be made righteous. Dearly beloved, do you want to know what is arrogant? Arrogance is standing face to face with a holy God and declaring yourself to be worthy to be in his presence because you followed the teachings of the Buddha or Muhammad or a New Age philosophy. Or telling him, I was a good person, so I stand before you by my own righteousness. God sent his only son into the world to suffer and die for you that you might be washed clean of your sin and you have despised him. By deciding you have the right to come to God by some other way. That is arrogance. Do you think that if there was another way that God would have 
sent his only son and given him over to death. Jesus asked the father, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way besides the cross? Is there any other way besides the suffering and death of God's own son? No. The cross answers that question definitively. The only way to the Father is through the Son. He is the way. He is our transport to God. He is the bridge between our fallen unrighteousness and God's holy presence. He is God's truth. He comes to give us life. Do you despise him trying to find a path of your liking to God? Or do you know him to be the one by whose blood you are brought into God's presence that you might dwell there for eternity in whose name God receives you as his child? Is your confidence in Jesus Christ as the only means by which you are brought out of darkness and into light? As the only means by which you are brought out of death into life? But there's still one more lesson for the disciples about what it means to believe in Jesus left in this passage. Because for Philip, at least, his desire is to see the Father that Jesus has been talking about. And this is the desire of the people of God through the ages. Moses asked to see God, but he was only shown a glimpse of God's passing glory. So Philip here gives voice to this age-old desire. We want to see the Father, Jesus. If only we could see the Father. And you can almost hear the disappointment in Jesus' voice as he responds to Philip. How many times has Jesus spoken of his relation to the Father? Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, Father, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So thirdly, Jesus teaches his disciples that belief in him means understanding that when we look into the face of Jesus Christ, we are looking into the face of God. Belief in him means understanding that when we look into the face of Jesus Christ, we are looking into the very face of God. This is a very important, very, very important aspect of our belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We discussed this a few Sundays ago during Sunday school. From the very beginning of John's gospel, Jesus says, John has told us this truth about who Jesus is. John, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, No one has ever seen God, the only God, or as some translations say, but the one and only Son, who himself is God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus is not simply a man who has been filled with the Spirit of God and who comes as a messenger of God to perform some miraculous works. Jesus himself is fully God. And so in him, God the Father is revealed to us. This is a very big deal. 
If Jesus is not fully God, then who we see in Jesus Christ cannot be an accurate picture of who God is in his very being. What Jesus is telling his disciples here, though, is that there is no distinction, no variance, zero difference between the words he has spoken, the deeds he has performed, and that of God the Father. Everything he has spoken has been from the Father. Everything that he has done has been a perfect expression of the heart of the Father. So what we have in Jesus is a reliable picture of God. What we have seen in Jesus is truly God's glory. When we look into Jesus' face, we are looking into the very face of God. Therefore, therefore, in Jesus Christ, we can really know God in his love for us. There doesn't have to be any question about who God is for us and what God desires of us. God has come to us in a way that we can comprehend him, although Not fully, because he is transcendent and infinite, but we can comprehend him as he has given himself to us to be comprehended. But more than that, he has come to us in a way that we can apprehend him. We can grab hold of God by faith, even as he has grabbed hold of us. So dearly beloved, I hope we understand the grace that God has given us by giving himself to us to be known in this way. He's under no obligation to extend us this grace. It is only because of his great love for us that he has come to our level and made himself known. So don't miss what Jesus is saying here. When you enter in to the fullness of God's kingdom. When you come before God the Father, you're not coming before one who is different in character than Jesus Christ. As one of my favorite theologians, T.F. Torrance, has said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. We will not find in God the Father something different than has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. There is not less grace or less love or less mercy or less compassion in God the Father than we find in Jesus Christ, his son. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you trust that Jesus has provided for us a reliable, accurate picture of God? Do you trust that in Jesus we have an image of the invisible God? That if you have placed your faith in him and have trusted in his all-sufficient sacrifice, then there is no reason to doubt. There is no ground on which to wonder if this faith will be in any way deficient in bringing us to our desired goal. Eternally dwelling in the peace and joy and goodness of God's presence. So dearly beloved, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God the Father. 
and believe also in Jesus Christ, his son, who perfectly reveals God to us as one who is of the very being of God, who goes ahead of us into death, that death might be defeated on our behalf, who is our transport into God's holy presence. This is the content of our faith. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. It isn't simply that we are convicted that what we have heard about Jesus is true, that he truly lived, that he performed miracles, that he taught with great wisdom. But more than that, believing in Jesus means that we have entrusted ourselves in life and in death into his hands. Because we know him to be fully man who stands in our place. And fully God who reveals himself to us and has the power to redeem our lives from the pit. Praise be to Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you all thanks and praise that you have condescended to our level that you have taken on human flesh in your son, Jesus Christ, that he has come and fulfilled the law on our behalf, that he has come and died a sinner's death in our place, that he has rose victorious from the grave, that we might have life in him and that we might be brought into your holy presence. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to believe. Give us faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to lean into him with all that we are. For we pray this in his holy and precious name. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Dearly beloved, in whom do you believe? I believe in God. 